Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, LBCF. All right, we're going to jump in. Oh, I think we're going to go on a little bit of an adventure, hopefully. Um, I'm just reflecting this morning that song revival was just so right on. Uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us in that. And, um, you know, we just happen to have on the schedule to pray for uh, Revive Church. And I just think that there's a theme going on this morning um, about revival. And today we're just, just to kind of let you know where we're headed, we're, we're talking about uh, day two and, and uh, the final week of, of Jesus' life. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, on day two, Jesus turns over the tables in the temple. And it's the second time he actually does it in his ministry. Um, and so we're going to talk about that. But um, I think I want to go like a little heavy direction and, and share a little bit. But um, I, I just want to acknowledge, first, guys, we're in the midst of, uh, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Good morning. And to those of you online, good morning to you as well. I want to acknowledge you. And then, um, yeah, my name is Alvia, and um, my wife and I lead the high school ministry here. If you have a high schooler or you are a high schooler and I don't know you, we want to know you. Um, and um, we've been in a season, we're, we're in, a, in the Lent season right now. Um, and, and Lent is a, uh, you know, Christians, churches around the world observe Lent. It's 40 days, um, almost in honor of the 40 days, an observance of the 40 days that Jesus spent um, in the desert. But, you know, there's a lot more that goes on during Lent. We get in tune with, with grief and get in tune with suffering. We are preparing our we prepare our hearts for um, for Good Friday, the, the you know the death of Christ, the the, the crucifixion, um, and then Easter and it ends the day before Easter, um, and uh, you know for me it's been a season of just trying to draw near. Um, I haven't been giving up my Starbucks, I gotta admit, but um, I have been trying to draw near and just step into the presence of uh, of God or just acknowledge the presence of God. And I do want to acknowledge, though, last week Steve get, gave this awesome message, and um, he encouraged us to just show up in the midst of grief, hardship. And I don't think there's a single person in this room. Some days I could show up on Sunday and I feel good. I'm just feeling good about life. Maybe, you know, I made some money with Bitcoin or something. I don't know. I'm feeling good. But on most days, man, there's, there's something heavy going on, and we can all kind of relate. I mean, the pandemic has brought all kinds of com- complications, division. Um, and then not only that, I mean, there's war in Ukraine, and it even impacts us. And, and if you try to ignore it, well, you're reminded when you get gas at the gas pump, you know, and you're like, oh, wow, I'm being impacted in some way. And regardless, we, there's a discomfort of not knowing what's to come. Um, and, and I think that is like the constant mode that we often will live in, at least I do. And so I just want to say that God does not look for our ability he doesn't look for our performance and our ability to just crush it at being a Christian, <laughs> a Christ, um, Christianese or anything that comes with, with um, Christian culture. But instead, he looks for our availability. Um, he looks for us to simply just show up 
and um, and as we show up, he's our strength and our weakness. He he is um, he is the one as we step just show up for let's say this topic of grief for me is a hard one. I like to ignore all pain, uh, all all possibilities of needing to grieve. I'm ignoring it, and um, I'm learning very slowly that if I just simply show up, maybe even just name it, even if I don't feel it in here, I'm voicing it. Um, God just shows up and He does a number. He, he works. He works miracles. Um, okay, the last sort of introductory statement I want to say and make is, you know, this story. If you're familiar with it, and you will be familiar by the time we get done here, um, but if you're familiar with it, you know, I, I went through all the, the at least the, I mean, the evangelical phases or at least over the last maybe 20 years, and I, I crushed it at them, so I was really into them. And, and one of them is trying to figure out what was Christian and what wasn't, what was good, and what, what, you know. So I gave up. I burned my metal records, metal, metal CDs, not like death metal, you know, because there was a season where I thought, man, it's just not sacred, you know. If it's not titled Christian metal, it's not okay. Um, and so in that same season, I was looking also for, um, also for, well, maybe this story of Jesus turning, he enters the te- temple and he turns over tables is a story where he's just trying to tell us, guys, don't, should, there should be no bookstores in churches. Shouldn't be selling things in churches. Um, and, and that is my very, that's, that's a perspective that I have once held. But as I've studied scripture, I've had to realize, um, and, and, and I've, I've just been led and drawn into the fact that Jesus was so far more concerned with people and our hearts and our identity as part of his kingdom than law. Um, he was so concerned, and so I want to invite us to just look at the scripture with people at the center of our hearts, ourselves. And I want us to step into that space where we know that Jesus' eyes are fully on us today, um, each one of us. Um, I say that because how we live out our lives um, really can be dictated on how we view our identity. And I was going to, uh, yeah, I, so I work with youth, and... Um, I, I work for the city of Irvine, actually, and, and um, man, I, our program, we were on every campus in Irvine, and, and we interact with kids all the time, and unfortunately, in youth work, we live in a day and age where, um, you know, mass shootings are like a thing, and so we've actually had trainings on how to prevent mass shootings, and I remember uh, there, there was a day where, you know, I, there was, I had to show up for a training, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be heavy, and I'm thinking I'm learning some tactics, like the self-defense tactics, and, um, you know, what, like some protocol on how to prevent, um, you know, people from being injured or harmed on a school campus, and, and um, you know, the officer leading the training, he, he, he invites us in, and to my surprise, that's not the direction the training went. In fact, all he did was he said, he shared a story. He, he walked us through, play by play, um, uh, uh, an example or time where uh, a, a young mass shooter, you know, um, hurt people um, and, and killed people on a school campus. But he started the story years before. The play-by-play uh, sort of like role play that we did started years before the student um, ended up committing his, his crime. Um, and, and so, you know, I mean, we talked about interactions that he had at a bank because one day he went to the bank, and some, a bank teller reported that. He said, yeah, I remember this student. He came in, and he was very sad, and he said this one sentence. But I didn't say anything. 
And then there's another, there's several interactions. And all the officer did that day is said, you know, uh, mass shooter training, I mean, for mass shooting, I, I guess, prevention, I mean, it's always happening. And it, it all, I mean, every day we have opportunities to, to love people and see them and check in on them. And he's like, man, what would have happened if we would have just had compassion? Now, my point with this is simply, I know that's a heavy topic, but my point with this is I just think um, this is the mode that God views all of us. I think that as we start to hear people's story, even if they are the, you know, the darkest individuals, they've committed the most heinous crimes, we hear their stories, and then we just, we can kind of find that compassion, and that's the mode that Jesus, I think, views each one of us, enemy or not, at all times. Um, and so I do think that Jesus is about people first and, 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 and how we live out our lives, our identity, our understanding of our identity is absolutely massive. And it's on that large grand scale, but it's also in my everyday as well. You know, I, I don't spend very much time um, in prayer because I forget that Jesus actually is with me and it's in him that I move and I actually have my being. And I definitely don't live that way. But when those moments where I'm brought to a depth, I'm like, man, this is awesome. Like when I was singing that song, Revival, I'm like, yes, this is true. You know, birds are chirping. I'm like, life is awesome, and, and this is totally my reality. But then I always go back to this other mode because I, I, I think there's a, an adjustment that I'm constantly needing to my sense of belonging into God's kingdom. And I live out my life in this, in this way um, because I forget my identity. Okay, let's jump in. Mark chapter 11. Now, we're, as, as a church also, we're in a series, uh, in, in this Lent series, but every week we're looking at each of the days um, leading up to um, Christ's death. So just the week up. So we started last week um, with Steve teaching on, um, St- Steve teaching on uh, Jesus entering Jerusalem on a donkey or a colt. And, uh, and then... To the very next day, and I'll, I'll, let's just go ahead and jump in. Mark chapter 11, and we'll do verse 11. So the first thing that Jesus does, he cruises into this area, Bethany, and that's where he enters Jerusalem. And he's on this donkey, and people are just like, just praising him. They're so stoked that he's, he's, he's arrived. And there's a reason for this. This area actually was, is an area where poor, like the poor lived. It was like on the outskirts of town. And this is where he entered. And he actually had a lot of friendlies in this area. And so this is where Jesus was staying, um, at least for the first, I think maybe this, mostly, most of his, his last week. So he's there, but the first day he walks in, the first thing he does is he goes to the temple, and he just looks around and checks, checks out the scene. And then he goes back to Bethany, just a mile walk. And then he comes back again the next morning, and he, he, he does this. So let's go ahead and join the story here. Uh, verse 11, Jesus enters Jerusalem, right? Um, right after uh, people are saying, Hosanna in the highest, uh, highest heaven, that he's arrived, and then went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back to Bethany, mile away. Verse 15, we're going to jump down here. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. 
and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And then, as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all people, but you've made it a den of robbers? And in response, the very next thing, the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began to look for a way to kill him. And in a sense, this is where that tension really just started to brew. And this is his, it was decided. This is like the end. This is, the, 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 his death was inevitable at this point. Um, I want to, we're going to skip around a little bit, but please bear with me because I think it's important that we view these other passages. Um, now, again, uh, I have once viewed this story to be about money and how the church handles money or the temple should have handled money and that Jesus came in to protest, perhaps to keep some, maybe the money was, maybe the exchange of money or the market was keeping people out. Um, uh, maybe, maybe people were poor and couldn't find or afford to buy uh, animals there or something, so it, wasn't, it was preventing people from being able to buy animals to sacrifice. But um, I think in order to really chew on this passage, we need, to have, we need to spend some time looking at temple, the word temple. So let's go ahead and do that. Now, there, uh, just as we have tradition today um, that we live by and we're co- constantly undoing and deconstructing, um, the, it's the same thing in Jesus' day. Um, the same tradition um, had, um, had been, the traditions have been alive, and people would uphold certain systems that were once adopted. So I want to, we're going to talk about the temple. We're going to look at a picture of the temple, and let's see where we, what we get here. So in Leviticus, we're going to go to Leviticus, uh, I believe it's 21. Leviticus 21, verse 16. Um, this is, a, this, this is part, this describes, let's just, we're just looking at the traditions um, that were at hand in the temple of the day. So verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, for the generations to come, none of your descendants who has a defect may come near to offer the food of his God. No man who has any defect may come near, no man who is blind or lame, disfigured or disformed, no man with a crippled foot or hand, or who is a hunchback or a dwarf. Who has, an, uh, who has any eye defect or who has a festering or running sores or damaged testicles. And I did say testicles. In church, yes. Um, anyways, yes. So, I mean, deformed testicle, damaged testicles, which brutal. And I think about the bouncers of the, tre- the temple, too. These guys must have been very interesting people having to discover who had some of these um, Challenges, And so then, verse 21, no descendant of Aaron, the priest, who has any defect, is to come near to present the food offering to the Lord. And in fact, I, 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 I just studying uh, commentaries, I heard that this was never meant to continue on, even to Jesus' day. But because traditions were upheld so tightly, this continued. In a moment, we're going to see how this was lived out and acted out. But I want to go back to our scripture reading also um, in Isaiah and um, I just want to read it and one more time, and let's just chew on it, because it's just so good. This is what the Lord says, Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will, will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, 
the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. And I think this is where we get a view into the kingdom of heaven. Let no foreigner, no Gentile, who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch, a eunuch, there's many definitions of what a eunuch was, and it was used for many different types of people, but one of them is someone maybe with deformed testicles. Um, And uh, let, let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree, I'm pointless, I have no point, I have no purpose or role in this kingdom, right? Verse 4, for this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. How beautiful. <laughs> it just gets me. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever and for foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on the altar. Now, we just read that people who were different, people who had, who had blemishes or didn't meet the status quo were not able, were not allowed to bring a sacrifice to the altar. And here, Isaiah is prophesying and saying, the Lord is saying quite the opposite. And I think that we see from the Old Testament, these prophecies of what God and Jesus has been up to the whole time. This is not just a a new thing that Jesus is doing when he's turning tables, but in fact, I think he's pointing us towards, pointing readers and the religious leaders that were listening to him and watching him turn turn the tables over of the coming temple. So I know we're bouncing around, but just stay with me. I think that it's all going to come together. Now, Jesus, even from the beginning of his ministry, if you remember John 2, 19, he says, destroy this temple, and I'm going to raise it up in three days. The topic of temple was absolutely at hand for Jesus. He chewed on it. He thought about it all the time. He talked about it. John 4, where Jesus talks with the Samaritan woman, and then he tells, and she starts talking about where we worship, and he says, believe me, there's going to come a day where we won't worship. We won't worship in in Jerusalem or on this mountain, but in fact, we're going to worship in spirit and truth. We're going to worship... Uh, no longer geographically, but it's going to be within us. What is this new temple that he's talking about? Matthew twelve six, he says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. So that's right in the midst of his, his, his ministry where he said, there's something greater than this temple that this is here. And finally, we're at the last week of Jesus' life, and he cruises into the temple. First thing he does, he enters on the donkey. The first thing he got in his mind is, i got to go to this temple, and I've got to make this known. i gotta, I got to do something. But then it was getting late, so he came the next morning, and he walked in, and he starts to turn over the temples. and uh, Sorry, turn over the tables. So this is an illustration of what the temple um, looked like. And as you can see, the um, just... If you can see this picture, there's walls, lots of walls. 
there's an outer wall um, with a little gate in the front on the right. And within the outer wall, you have the court of the Gentiles. And then within the court of the Gentiles, one step further, you have the women's court. And then one step further, you see a gate that's kind of in the back of the women's court, and that's the altar, or right behind that, and that's where uh, men would be able to, men without blemishes, would be able to bring their animals for sacrifice. And you go further, and it's the court of the priests. And then if you go within that building, that's where God's presence truly is. And this, this temple does re- represent something. I don't think Jesus is saying, you know, damn this temple. This temple is no good. But he's pointing to a new thing that he's doing, a new way of being, a new hope. And surely, and so we read this and we see this, and in fact, in the court of the Gentiles is actually where those with, you know, um, like who are blind um, were. And so um, uh, just to kind of further talk about these walls, the more perfect you were, the more qualified you were, the further closer to God's presence you were, the further, the more right righteous you were seen by God. And Jesus, I think, is not protesting uh, economy and markets. I think he's actually protesting and pointing, pointing his people towards this new way of being um, and the new temple, which will ultimately, which is going to be, which is him, which is him. So Jesus cruises in. He turns over these, ta- these tables um, which was probably in the court of the Gentiles. And then, uh, and then he stands up and he says, isn't it written that my house will be a house of prayer for all people? And that leads to the final point that I want to make. Um, and, then, and then we'll wrap up here. Uh, if we can look at Matthew. So this, this passage, this story was told in three uh, of the, the Gospels, so the Synoptic Gospels, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And... Um, What's interesting, you know, the three Gospels, they kinda, they're kind of in sync. They, t- they cover a lot of the same stories. But each one of these writers, Matthew, he wrote to a different audience than, uh, than Mark. Mark wrote to a Gentile audience, while Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. And so it, the, Matthew includes the same story. He says, Jesus entered the table, the temple courts, drove out all the uh, people buying and selling there. He turned over the tables, and then he said, it is written. He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. If you can go to the version in Mark, uh, he says the same thing. He says, it is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? For all nations, that's my point. So if you notice at the end of Mark's uh, quote here, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But Matthew omits it. If we can go back to Matthew, he leaves out the word all nations. He leaves out the word Gentile. And I think this is really significant. I asked the question, why didn't Matthew leave out the word all nations or all Gentile or, or, or Gentiles? When he, he clearly is quoting Isaiah, Matthew is aware of it. And I think perhaps Matthew just did not have, feel the need to speak to Gentiles or speak to the needs of Gentiles. So he he omitted those words. But what he did include, which Mark did not, is verse 14. The very next thing after Jesus says that, he says the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. And it just draws a picture. Either Matthew, doesn't matter, regardless of Matthew's point and his focus was, man, something shifted here. Jesus was doing a new thing with those who need healing. 
where Mark captured, and he said, Jesus is doing a new thing. And, and, and for those who are, who are Gentiles, who are not invited into the inner courts, who are not invited into the... But regardless, this entire uh, Isaiah chapter that we just read, that's what Jesus was alluding to. He stands up and he quotes Isaiah, and everybody hearing would have understood what that whole passage said and included. And, and, and so they hear Jesus say... He, Simply say, is it not written that my house is called is will be called a house of prayer, um, but you're making it a den of thieves? And they would have thought of all the inclusion that's included in Isaiah 56, if that makes sense. And so if we can just for a moment go back to the picture of the temple. And I think that Jesus here is just pointing, pointing us and pointing his people towards the fact that sometimes walls need to be brought down. And in fact, I think that that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Where we have these traditions and these systems and this way of thinking um, where that, that keep people out or keep ourselves out. And Jesus is saying, hey, this temple is going to fall. And I'm the new temple. I'm the new temple. And in me, you're actually in. Here's your passport. Full free. So no longer are Gentiles not a part of this house of prayer. No longer are those who need healing not able to partake in the worship. No longer are women kept inside of, or only allowed in a court outside of the altar. But in fact, we get to interact with the presence of God 100% fully. And this is where I truly relate with this story of the temple. I think that in my life, there's simply some unlearning that needs to happen. There's constantly unlearning and deconstruction that I'm always working on, trying to understand that the reality is that there actually is no wall between me and Christ, me in the presence of, of God. But the problem is, and I think this is, you know, the, issues with, the issue with the religious leaders that wanted to kill him, is they just simply weren't ready to let go. They weren't ready to, to let go of the old ways. They weren't ready to step into what's new because they didn't know what to expect or if their systems would fall. But what, what walls do we need to lay down in order to accept the fact that God is near, that he runs in us and he, he, he moves in us and he moves towards us constantly? For me, um, grief is a big one. And uh, I told you in the beginning of, of this, my, my talk here that, man, I'm not good with grief. In fact, my wife and I always laugh at the fact that I did not realize that I had a traumatic life until I was in my 30s. And, and it took people like Pastor Barb and, and therapists and, and um, counselors to, to help me understand, wait, there's, there's some stuff that you've gone through and that you've had to deal with. And even after hearing it for years, I still was not, I, I still am not able to lay down those walls. But as I show up, I've found, simply just show up and say, God, I can't see, but I know this is something. I know I, have, I need to grieve, but I just can't even feel the pain that I need to grieve. If I just show up, as I show up, God has been so gracious with me and has led me to very subtle moments that have allowed me to step into grieving. And I think it's the same for uh, the religious leaders who I read initially when I read this passage, I've always thought, man, these guys are terrible. They killed Jesus. But instead I've asked, well, what's going on for them? Why, why are they so holding on to these simple, these walls that stand? The spirit of the temple. 
continues today, the old temple. But we live in a new reality. There's a new temple that we, we have in Christ. And in, in Christ, we get to be commune with God and he in us, and we get to abide in him. But the problem is we always go back to the old temple, the old walls, the old way of being. And um, how can I encourage you, LBCF, to step into that, that new reality um, even more? How is the Spirit calling you and drawing you in further? And so this work, I think, is a deep work, and it, and it, and it, it takes time. It takes practice. And, and so I want to invite my, my friend, Michelle, who's a member of our community. Michelle Roberts is, is also a therapist. Um, and we have uh, many therapists a part of our community, which is awesome. And so she's going to lead us and continue us in through, through this conversation. Good morning, church family. It's good to be with you. Thank you, Alvia, for those words. Um, so as Alvia shared, last week we started our journey into Lent, and Catherine opened up um, our series into learning about grief and how to step in to the stages of grief, which is a really fun topic that we all love to talk about, as Alvia had discussed. So um, so today, we're going to talk a little bit about denial, which is understood to be the first stage of grief, although we know that grief is not linear in any way, shape, or form. And so I want to just chat a little bit about this and kind of my experience of this, even today. Um, I think it's funny how there's just always an invitation from God, right, into what we need and what we need to engage with, even if we don't want to, right? So when Catherine put my name on the spreadsheet for denial, I was like, yeah, that'll be fine. Until this morning, when I was like, oh, I don't think it will be fine. So bear with me. Here we go. Uh, so the traditional definition of denial is the rejection of a fact, emotion, or experience that is too painful to accept. Okay, the rejection of a fact, emotion, or experience that is too painful to accept. Just right there. Do we think that any of us may have had an experience like that over the last couple of years or any time in life? Um, so as we were reflecting on this this week, I thought about the different ways that denial may have looked and sounded, even just as we've gone through this pandemic together, or apart, or trying to be together. <laughs> um, a couple years ago, right, it may have sounded like, had, you know, we're insulating ourselves from having to believe that this is going to happen, right? And not just that it's gonna happen, but it's gonna happen here, in my home, in my community. So some of us might have been Engaging with a little bit of denial, saying, oh, that's happening over there. You know, it's not going to happen here. And then once it happened here, oh, it won't be as bad here, right? Because we have access to healthcare, right? And it'll be fine. Um, but it wasn't fine. And 
So denial, right, we, we can tend to dismiss or minimize the reality of what's happening, both, I think, in our internal and our external experience. So then as we moved through this time, right, last year, I found in talking with people that a lot of us were accepting, right, okay, we're living this, we're wearing our masks, we're doing all the things, schools are closed, you know, all these things were happening. But then there's a temptation to deny the reality of our own experience by comparing it to other people's experience, right? So other people are allowed to grieve their pain, but am I allowed to grieve my pain, right? So that might sound like so many people have lost a loved one to this pandemic, right? And if I, if I don't know someone that has died during this pandemic, that means that my grief or my pain doesn't matter as much as that person. Maybe someone I know experienced a really significant loss of financial security during this time, right? Maybe I just had to transition to working from home. Maybe I just didn't get to go to school with all of my friends, right? It's so tempting. It's so tempting to minimize what we're experiencing because someone else is experiencing more or experiencing it differently or experiencing it worse. Or maybe you were the person experiencing those major losses, right? And maybe it was hard to find spaces to talk about that or to find the words to say how much you were suffering. I know um, for a lot of us who've been in church for a long time, there can also be a temptation to, you know, spiritualize our grief, um, to use spiritual bypassing in our language with one another, which might sound like, oh, at least your family member who passed away is in a better place now. Or, you know, as long as we have enough faith, God will spare us from the worst effects of whatever's going on. If you're struggling so much with isolation, maybe you should try praying more. Maybe this is an opportunity to engage in new spiritual practice. And maybe it is. <laughs> Usually when we deny each other the right to our own pain, it's, there might be a grain of truth there, right? To those sound bites that we tend to use. But I think when we deny each other that space, we're actually protecting ourselves from having to acknowledge, right? Acknowledge each other and from having to hold pain and grief with each other. So another thing that came up for me as I was thinking, okay, what does denial look like now? What does it look like today? It might look different for each of us, right? Some people are celebrating, right? The progress that we've made in this and things are looking up, cases are down, we can take off our masks, right? 
And some people feel safe doing that, and others don't. And that's okay. Um, maybe you're experiencing compassion fatigue, <laughs> feeling that I cannot find it within myself to be sad about another thing <laughs> or to listen to more bad news or scary news, right? I feel numb. <laughs> and sometimes those things feel unacceptable to say or to acknowledge. And what I know and what I'm grateful for is that as Elvio is talking today and I'm picturing Jesus, right, just going into the temple and being like, I'm sick of this, right? Like, we're done. We always like to think of, right, the gentle Jesus who healed people and Jesus is gentle. Amen. And I'm so grateful for that. But I love passages like this because they remind us of the times where Jesus felt dysregulated. <laughs> right? And even on my way here this morning, I felt dysregulated. I didn't want to have to admit how sad I was that my family couldn't be here this morning because my two-year-old still has snot running down his face from the cold he's had for three weeks, right? I didn't want to admit how sad it is to me that he doesn't know this church building because he's two, right? And I haven't been able to protect him from this virus through the vaccine. So here we are, right? He will learn who his church family is over time and when it's time. Um, but I think, yeah, we're just invited to see Jesus as someone who has experienced everything that we have experienced. The first thing that came to mind when I thought about Jesus in denial was right before his crucifixion in the garden, right? When he's like, Lord, <laughs> if this cup may pass from me, as I thought about that this week, I was like, I wonder if Jesus was in some denial, right? Maybe not, but it's just kind of fun to think about how has Jesus experienced all the things that we have experienced and what, how does he want to be with us in that, right? So I've been really grateful for this idea that during Lent, it's not just that we're giving something up, right? It's not just that we're turning away, but that we're invited to turn towards something new. And so what is that new thing <laughs> that Jesus is inviting us to turn toward in this time? We see the ways that denial, both denying ourselves and denying others, can hinder us from the fullness of our human experience. And I know that Jesus really understands the fullness of the human experience. That is the point of Emmanuel. So, I want to just invite us 
together into a short practice um, because one thing that can happen a lot with denial is that we, we might develop behaviors that we don't even realize are behaviors, right? When we don't, <laughs> when we don't wanna experience the heaviness, right? When we don't wanna enter into our grief because it's scary and hard and it feels overwhelming. We might find ourselves drinking more than we might be comfortable with. We might find ourselves watching a few more hours of Netflix than maybe is good for our brain and body. And so there's all these different behaviors, right, where we can numb out um, some of the reality of what's going on. And as I was preparing for this, I thought, I was just reminded and heard God saying, you know what, I love you even in your denial. I love you right there <laughs> when you feel like you can't find the space, right? And you can't open it up. You can't allow the tears to be there or whatever it is that needs to be there. So I just want to say that over our time, that Jesus loves us wherever we are, whether that is a healthy place <laughs> or whether that is a numbing place or whatever kind of place that is. And I want to invite us to connect or reconnect with our bodies this morning. We may not realize it, but our bodies have been through it. For me, being at home 24 hours a day with my husband and a toddler for two years straight, <laughs> it, has been, it has been something, and it has not always been fun. And so I want to just check in with the way that we're holding some of that tension and the way that we're holding some of that grief. And so being reminded that, right, this body, this body that you have today is the body that God has given you to live in and to live from and to love from. And I think when we're feeling heavy amounts of emotion and grief, it can be easy to disconnect from our physical experience. So today we're just gonna practice being in the body and seeing what God might be inviting us into. So if you feel comfortable, please close your eyes with me. I'll close my eyes too so that you don't feel like I'm looking at you. Okay. So as always, we love to just start with a deep breath. So I wanna invite you to just bring your awareness to the top of your head. Think about the crown of your head. We're gonna scan our awareness down through the body, slowly. So from the crown of your head, moving down into your facial muscles. Just thinking about, where might there be areas of tension? Where might there be constriction? Where might I be holding something? Even if I don't know yet what that something is moving down through all sides of your neck, your chest area, your shoulders, even as you're moving, just if you need to create some space, <laughs> right? Pull your shoulders back, scan down through your arms, your torso, your hips, just noticing, not trying to change anything, but just noticing what's there moving down through your legs, your ankles, 
Sometimes when we have unprocessed emotion or unacknowledged experiences, they can store themselves in our joints. Thinking about those areas all the way down through your feet and out the top of your big toe. And as you just sit in awareness of how is my body feeling today? What is there? Do you feel rested, at ease, that there's space in your body? Do you feel pain, tension, anything locked up? And just think about the Lord, his kindness to us. What he wants to invite you into today. And maybe just take a minute to allow yourself to imagine what it would look like for your body to feel spacious, at ease, and rested. Is there something that could allow that to happen? And is that something that we can make space for? that God cares about this body and its wellness, not just about the things that it can do, the things that you can accomplish with your body in a given day. And so as we think about what Jesus might be inviting us into, we're gonna transition when you're ready invite you to just think about what is your body asking you for right now as you start to open your eyes? Do you need a luscious stretch, right? Does anything need to crack? What needs to happen in order to just invite space and ease, freedom, and rest? So as we come back into the room, yeah, I see that stretch. Get it, girl. Um, we're going to transition into a time of communion. And so I'll have Elvia come back up and help me with that. And just want to thank you all for being here and for joining me on this journey. I know that it isn't fun to talk about grief, um, especially if you're Elvia, right? Thanks, Michelle. It's rough, but we love you all. And I hope that you can find space for what the Lord is yeah, showing you today. I just think it's so amazing how much happens can happen when we just become present. Present with our own bodies, presence with the reality of Christ. And um, in light of just presence, God's presence, us being present with ourselves, um, we, we pra- we, our LBCF, we, we practice communion or we engage in communion every week um and and so we want to invite you up to um being present engage in communion and um you know uh, remember the life um that we have in christ and and also the blood that's been shed for us that we're we're um we are observing so as you feel led feel free to to come on up and, and join us in communion
We hope this teaching has encouraged and challenged you. We always have more resources available at our website, lbcf.org. And wherever you are and wherever you're listening, we pray you be filled with grace to learn to live in love like Jesus.